Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. The legislative session continues its churn this week. Joining me to discuss the state of the legislative session is Superintendent of Schools, Debbie Critchfield. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, Superintendent Critchfield, um, one of the big issues that's kind of unresolved so far this session is the new budget process that JFAC, the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee, is taking. Have you, in uh, the education realm and with the Department of Education, have you seen any issues so far from the, the uncertainty that's come from the new budget process? Not so far, as the the process is unfolding and it's new to everyone, so we're all in real time uh, watching what's happening. We saw the maintenance budget uh, pass off the House floor with a commitment to come back for those remaining items. And so we're, we're choosing to believe that that will indeed happen. And so at this point, we're in the wait and see and then talking with legislators to make sure that those unfinished items make their way. And so now that that maintenance budget has made it off of the first floor, what are some of those other items you have your eye on? Well, none of the statutory requirements for increases in the career ladder. So uh, that that's all uh, legislated that as teachers move up and onto the career ladder, that there are associated changes with their salary. And so and those adjustments are, are made again through statute. So those types of changes with the career ladder, any increases in health insurance, any um, increases in transportation, and then a few items that, that we've asked as new budget items would be a part of the remaining pieces of the budget to, to get through. And one of the other budget items that has gotten a lot of attention in the media has been, um, there's a, a, it's about $160 million that was set aside for schools but didn't end up going out to schools. Um, my understanding is it's because the formula was changed over the interim. Can you explain to me how, how that money got left on the table? Absolutely. So when the special session uh, met, uh, House Bill 1 uh, made law an additional $330 million that would go or be made available to public schools. And as that money was put on the table, changes from how we calculate student attendance from we had been calculating it based on enrollment. That was a, a decision that was made during COVID times. And that was a, a temporary rule, right? Temporary rule. Well, we waived the rule, had a temporary rule to say, we're gonna pay you based on students that are enrolled, not how they attend. Well, we've gotten away from COVID. And so we returned last year to paying schools based on a formula that really comes up with the average number of students that are attending. Now, because of that, uh, the money was appropriated and it's still there. Districts weren't able to access it. And so as the legislative session finished and we got into the spring, uh, our districts were saying, hey, we're not gonna be able to get in to open the doors on that $330 million that was set aside for schools. We've got to come up with a fix to do that. So really there's two parts to this. One is how do we get that, whatever money was left on the table to the districts this year as a one-time appropriation? And then how do we fix it moving forward so we don't continue to leave that money on the table? And I think it's really important to note this is not new requested money, it's money that's there that just hasn't been able to be accessed. So we have one law that says it's $330 million of new money, and then another law that says districts will receive it according to attendance. And so we're trying to meet uh, the, the letter and we wanna follow the law on both of those laws. And, and we think that we've got some policy bills that'll help address that. Have lawmakers been receptive to the proposal so far? Yes, and we're working our way uh, to the various uh, legislators throughout the Capitol to say, 
okay, here's, here's how we propose uh, to address that so we're not in the same position. And it really does come down to paying schools with the discretionary funds for the students that they, that they have. Another big proposed pot of money that's moving its way through the State House right now is Governor Little's big school facilities pitch, or um, the tax bill, depending on, yeah. on who's describing it. Um, so just to summarize, that would the, the state would take out a billion dollar bond and distribute it out to school districts. Um, as the governor's office and the lawmakers have been negotiating this policy over the last few weeks, how involved have you been in those discussions? Uh, we've been involved in as much as visiting with folks on what it will look like, uh, coming up with the modeling of how what the numbers look like, how much money, if we're collapsing, if we're doing away with you know one fund and shifting it into another, you know what's the net for our schools? And, and so we've, we've been involved in that and, and helping schools understand what the benefit would be to them. You kind of have an interesting role as an administrator, someone who's in charge of doing whatever the lawmakers come up with, um, but you're also an elected official. Do you, do you feel like that this proposal to take out this bond and give this money out to schools, will that be enough to make a significant dent in the building needs we see across the state? Absolutely, it, it, there's no question that it'll make a significant dent. What it won't do is completely solve the facilities issue. And so we're, we're, I'm very careful that, that as we support this bill and promote it, which we do, that we're also very clear that it's not enough money to say, local community, you will never be asked for any more money for your local school. That, that, that will remain to be seen, how that uh, puts a dent into the overall um, facilities needs that our districts have, but there's no question that this is real money and, and will help schools, which means it'll help communities. There's a lot of little add-ons in that bill that the sponsors characterize as accountability measures for how much money um, is being put out. Um, opponents of the bill might describe them as poison pills instead. Are, is there any specific detail in the bill that has you concerned or that you're not so excited about coming along with that money? I don't know that there's anything in there that I would necessarily say is a, is a poison pill or a deal breaker um, in, in my end. I, you know, I, I think one of the, the things that we've heard the most about in the last couple of days and, and the week leading up to the bill being heard, whether it was in the committee or on the floor, was about the four-day, five-day, what's that minimum number of student days, minimum number of, of teacher contract days, how does that play with our current statutes around minimum hours, and so those are things that, that I'll take up with the State Board of Education, and we're working with districts to say our main goal is to make sure that you can still control your calendar. That statutory authority rests with the local board. What does that look like? How do those things come together? All right. Um, another piece of legislation that um, actually did not make it through its chamber uh, recently was the library bill, the library combination or compromise bill uh, that Senator Jeff Schroeder had floated. Um, of course, you are not a library administrator, but you oversee the schools, and school libraries are part of this conversation. What do you make of the concerns that lawmakers are voicing over content in, in libraries and their appropriateness for children? My main priority in all of this has, to, has been to support the local governance structure that's in place, and in this case, it is the local school board, that the accountability goes to the right people in the right ways. There's no one, including myself, or starting with myself, that wants inappropriate materials in libraries. Pornographic materials have, have no place um, in our, our public schools library, or in our public libraries, for that matter. With that said, 
How do we then have a process in place? So I believe that local boards, if they don't, they need a policy to address that. Here's the protocol. If you have a concern about a particular book, here's how you work through to get that accomplished. So I, I start from the place that who are the people that are in charge of that? Who are the people that really are accountable in a community? And then let's build around that. All right. And I will, I will note that that um, library bill that failed in the Senate tried to set up a unified um, process for all of the districts across the state to to follow. Does the does the Department of Education have any sort of, um, we'll say, boilerplate content policies for for the libraries? No, we hadn't had anything, and I went and dusted some things off the shelf. So, more than twenty years ago. The Department of Education actually had a role over uh, public school libraries in a, in a I, I guess, in a, in a better way um, than what we do now. Maybe I wouldn't even say better, but just in a different way. A little more hands-on, maybe. There you go. That's 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 the way to say it. And um, just over time, and, and now there's a state libraries commission that really seeks to support local public school libraries. So. I believe that there is a place and a role for the Department of Education to provide that type of support um, that either went away or just hasn't been there over the last few years. The House also voted down a piece of legislation that would have put some standards in place for communications that schools have to give to parents and guardians if their children are involved in bullying. Um, what was your conversation like with Representative Mathias as he was working on that bill? Yeah, he, he approached us and, and asked what was currently happening. I think, you know, identifying some gaps and, and really it boiled down to uh, providing support and resources for parents, whether your child was the one that was being bullied or whether your child was the bully. How do we help support the, the right actions with the people that are primarily responsible for you know, raising and developing a child? And that would be their parents. From the discussion that I heard you know, in the committee and then on the House floor, ultimately, it really centered around, could schools do this without the legislation? Yeah, they could. Um, are there things that are already happening? happening? Certainly, um, we can always enhance and you know, bring more to the table for parents at the school level. And so I don't think, anyone ever wants to, to have been representative saying, I'm against anti-bullying. I know that that's a double negative, but mm -hmm. anyway, I, I think you get what I'm saying. It really came down to what are the, what can schools reasonably do and can they do that without the law? And I think ultimately, you know, the majority of, of those that were voting said, hey, I think, you know, schools can do this without a law. Um, I know Representative Mathias would, or I understand that he would like to bring that back, looking at some of the definitions. I think the, another part of this on this, what can they reasonably do? The definition was very broad. And, and for some, there was a concern that a principal may spend half of, half of their day on the phone saying, hey, your child was pushed by the slide. Hey, your child was called a name in the lunch line. Those are mean things, but not necessarily bullying. And I think when we talk about bullying as a state, we need to be very clear that we fit the definition of what that is. It's consistent, it's an imbalance of power, um, it's repetitive. You know, there are some things that really define what bullying is versus just kids being mean to each other, which is again, not acceptable, but, but those are different things. Sure, it's a level of severity there. Yes. Um, your department has also been very focused on literacy, and the governor has, has been as well. Um, what sort of progress have you seen in the literacy department since taking office as superintendent? 
Well, we continue to see uh, the upward trends that we want for proficiency um, in, in literacy. We have worked very diligently since last year and very specifically um, over the summer to work with districts on the types of curriculums that they choose, the type of professional developments that they provide for their teachers. We have to combine effective instruction with the right materials. And when those are all founded in the science of reading and you get a teacher that knows what they're doing, we're gonna see some great gains here in the state. Okay, well, we'll have our eyes toward the future. Superintendent of Schools, Debbie Kirchfield, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for Idaho Public Television comes from the School of Public Service at Boise State University, providing objective and impactful research for Idaho and beyond and academic programs with hands-on learning that equip students to be effective public service leaders.